It was 2016, so it was leading up to Worlds in Killeen. It was my first Raw Worlds, um, and I think it was the very first episode that we ever filmed of this like training log series. I'm like throwing my belt across the room and screaming curse words because I just like I'm, I'm coming to a head and dealing with this hip thing, and I was like trying to tell Dylan to turn off the camera. I'm like, dude, you don't don't like don't film this. And he was like, no, 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 this is this is the kind of thing like you need to, you know, and, and we kind of, I think at that point really set the tone for a lot of how we've approached things over the years. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider at clinicalathlete.com. We also have the Clinical Athlete Forum, where we discuss and share ideas and resources related to athlete health and performance. To join the forum or for a potential listing on the Clinical Athlete Directory and for all upcoming seminars, webinars, and events, details can be found on the website. This podcast can also be found on your favorite podcast platform, and if that platform allows you to rate the show, we'd appreciate you taking the time to do that so that we can get this information out to as many people as possible. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. On this show, we are joined by co-host Jared Maynard, who is the Clinical Athlete Continuing Education Director and Coordinator and a physiotherapist at Depth Physiotherapy in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He is also a strength coach and a competitive powerlifter himself. And we have our other co-host, John Flagg, who is an athletic trainer and the powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach at 301 Strong in White Plains, Maryland and the owner of Rebuild Stronger, an online coaching platform for strength athletes. He is also a clinical athlete provider and the lead instructor of the Clinical Athlete Powerlifting Certification, which, by the way, we have some new powerlifting certifications coming up, so check out the events tab on the website. And our very special guest on today's show is Bryce Krawczyk. Bryce is an elite powerlifter with multiple national championships under his belt, as well as medals at the World Championships. We're bringing you a unique interview on this one. The topic of the discussion is the recurrent injury that Bryce has dealt with over the past several years and the things he's learned along the way. There are important and valuable lessons in this one for anyone who trains for any physical activity at any level. Hope you enjoy the show. And we're back, everybody. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. And you might notice that it is not Quinn leading this conversation. This power feels really good. Quinn, is this is this how you feel all the time? Well, not anymore, but yes. Not anymore. <laughs> if you usurped <laughs> Congratulations. the Congratulations, yeah. Oh, thank you. I want to thank the Academy. Um, speaking of, Quinn, how are you doing, man? I keep muting myself. I'm doing well. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you asking me. It's a nice, My beautiful pleasure. day here in Southern California. Many butterflies? No, but um, some bees. I saw some bees today. Whoa! Yep. And uh, he's just trying to pull power back by dropping SoCal in there. A couple crickets. Like, oh look! I live in beautiful Southern California. I'm giving some of that power back. <laughs> <laughs> Represent, representing Maryland and the tornado warning from earlier today. We got John Flag. Oh, it was windy. 
It was absolutely terrifying. And they told you, don't get in your cars and I'm driving my daughter to school. And she's going, we're not supposed to be in the car right now. <laughs> you got a big, you got a big car though. You got a, like an excursion, right? I have an excursion. Yeah. That yeah thing ain't going it, nowhere. It wasn't going to go anywhere at all. That is the single car that made American car manufacturers go. We probably need to do something different about how much gas we use. <laughs> that's the car I drive. But that's that the was one the you tipping want. point. And there's a tornado warning. Yeah, but but it drove through a tornado warning. So there, there I'm doing go. great, Jared. How are you? I'm I'm doing awesome. Excited about this conversation. And the man of the hour, we have fellow Canadian Bryce Krawcheck with us. Bryce, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm happy to be here. I uh, listened to a few of uh, a few of the clinical athlete podcasts in the last week or so, doing doing dog walks and stuff. So I'm uh, I'm excited to to be able to chat with you guys. Excellent. Well, you're going to be bringing up the standard by a lot if you've listened to a few of our previous episodes. So <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I, for one, appreciate having another Canadian here. So maybe we can set a couple of of stereotypes straight. Do you do you ride your polar bear to all of your pickup hockey games or do you take your car some of the time too? Uh, it depends. It depends on the the level of blizzard warning that we're facing. Um, so, I feel like in a similar case to what John was saying, like the you you want something that's not going to tip, right? And the polar bear is usually the option on those days. Absolutely. You got the extra warmth from from the body heat too. Exactly. Yeah. You get off road probably a little easier. Yeah, it's just it's tough to park in the in the igloo afterwards. <laughs> right on, beautiful. All right, so now the record sets straight. Wait, hold on, um, Bryce. Oh. iPhone, iPhone or Android for you? Oh, dear. iPhone. Thank God. I'm, I'm sitting here <laughs> yeah, with, two, with two droids. That's... Okay, now oh, yeah. <laughs> now, what do you think now, boys? I now see that... the divisions <laughs> being drawn now. See the, the lines are drawn the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey Quinn, who was the one who had technical issues earlier today on our call? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Convenient. Moving on, um, Bryce. So, for our our six listeners, can you give us a bit of background on yourself? Tell us about how you got into powerlifting. Maybe what your competitive careers looked like so far, and then what what projects you have your hand in, like uh, the Calgary Barbell House Company and YouTube channel and all that stuff. Sure. Um, so I, I started competing in powerlifting in 2012 uh, as an extension of just kind of falling in love with with lifting and my quest to not be a skinny guy anymore, which I, I still think I'm battling with in some ways. Um, and uh, yeah, enjoyed enjoyed some some competitive success in the first three or four years, which kind of led to more of that passion developing. Um, and around the same time, or I should say just before, uh, began working in in sort of a, a personal trainer kind of uh, capacity, and uh, that led to obviously becoming more and more specialized with with my coaching and powerlifting. So I've been coaching for uh, a number of years and competing for a number of years, and have enjoyed success up to uh, the world level now at uh, a few meets and broken some world records and won some national championships and stuff. So it's been it's been pretty cool, um, and getting to coach and work with uh, fantastic athletes all the way from first time lifters to other world's competitors. Uh, and in terms of what I'm working on right now, um, just we put out a lot of YouTube content pretty regularly. Um, I mentioned earlier, we were doing some live streaming stuff nowadays. Uh, we're doing some apparel and we're doing some program sales and uh, managing a team of coaches that uh, kind of work under the Calgary Barbell umbrella. So that's uh, perhaps a quick summary. Get a lot of them to go, man. <laughs> you still, right now, you're primarily single ply, correct? At the moment, yeah. I, uh, I started my career lifting raw 
because of sort of when I started. I think we were starting to see a big insurgence of raw lifting and a, and a real movement away from anything equipped. Um, and then kind of got to a point where single ply started appealing to me. And then I got this idea that the world games is a thing in my head. So yeah, we'll see how the next couple of years go. Well, good luck, man. Uh, your video series on like how to fit equipment and buy equipment and that sort of thing was actually one of the big catalysts that got me back into equip lifting. So, Oh, that's awesome. Uh, it's a great series. So I, I loved it. And that's what got me back in a squat suit and a bench shirt. So sweet. Pumped. Well, that, that makes me happy. I, yeah. I, I fancy myself part of this this kind of like resurgence of what I'm calling the equipped renaissance over the last few years. Oh I think God. a lot of people have been lifting raw for a long time and getting to kind of the point where I'm at and starting to see single ply as another option to to kind of further pursue powerlifting in a in a different way. Just on the topic of the YouTube channel, um, I've been a Calgary Barbell fan for for a bit now, and that's grown uh, as time's gone on. For anyone who hasn't checked out Calgary Barbell, please do yourselves a favor and check it out, because not only is the information fantastic, uh, the production, you're welcome, the production quality is also just friggin' top-notch, and it's been it's been really great to watch that development. Um, so that's, that's mostly Dylan's work, is that, is that's, that right? That's all Dylan. I can't take any credit for any of that. <laughs> um, the, the whole reason that everything looks good is, is my, my business partner, Dylan, um, who's become more and more a part of sort of everything uh, as we move forward. But yeah, he, he's self-taught and, and pretty well a wizard with that kind of stuff. And as an added incentive for anybody who's been a fan of the 90s PSAs, especially one about the house hippo, and if anyone wants to see Bryce in a tutu, you should search the weight fairy, Calgary Barbell. Yeah, I watched that. that was a good time. I watched that exactly an hour and a half ago because I was prepping for this, and I remember that was a thing, and watched it again. Don't yeah. forget it. Yeah, that might be a little, is that is that Canadian specific? Uh, it might be Canadian specific. Yeah. I think it was like the Canadian broadcast association that, that put that one out. But yeah, yeah if that. you remember that, it's, uh, it, that, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Even with no context, it's worth a yeah. watch. Yeah. So Bryce, one of the, the reasons why we started thinking about asking you to be on the show is because you've been dealing with, with an injury for, for a little while now. Um, so can you tell us what that injury is, how it came to the picture for you and then the impact that it's had on you as, as an athlete? Sure. Um, so the injury is an uh, still to this day kind of undefined hip pain experience where uh, generally happens towards the lockout of both uh, my deadlifts and my squats. And it started up I'm trying to think maybe 2016, 2017. I still deal with it to this day. Um, and it's just kind of this stabbing pain. I had every MRI, x-ray, physio, chiro, massage therapy, like everything that I could imagine kind of under the sun. Nobody's been able to correctly diagnose it or, or really give me any kind of diagnosis. Um, so it's just something that I kind of live with and, and work around to the best of my ability. Um, but I've gotten to the point now where I'm able to pretty pretty handily and, and consistently manage the symptoms um, to the point where I'm able to continue to train again and progress and, and hopefully soon will be beyond where I was when it, it kind of began. With, uh, social media, um, obviously it's, it's had a, a really positive impact, particularly in the sport of powerlifting. It's probably one of the main reasons for the growth, the rate of growth that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and for the level of connect connectedness that a lot of people might feel with, with athletes that they don't live close to and, it's one of the main reasons why we're having this conversation now. Um, one of my personal gripes is that 
most of the time we see the highlight reel of people hitting these monstrous PRs during training or in competition. Um, and one of the things that I've appreciated a lot about just your openness uh, when it comes to talking about this and detailing the process, because mm-hmm. it really has been a, a process and a long one at that, is that it, uh, I think, gives, I don't know, maybe it helps to balance out the the perception that a lot of people yeah. might have, especially if they're new to the strength training, powerlifting world. Um, and, and maybe it gives people a bit of hope in that if they have an injury and if it doesn't go away right away, it doesn't mean that's the end of the road for them. They don't have to throw in the towel. Yeah, uh, I think so. One of the things that kind of set the tone for our, our YouTube channel when we were first doing these training logs uh, was it was 2016. So it was leading up to Worlds in Colleen. It was my first Raw Worlds. Um, and I think it was the very first episode that we ever filmed of this like training log series. I'm like throwing my belt across the room and screaming curse words because I just like I'm, I'm coming to a head and dealing with this hip thing. And I was like trying to tell Dylan to turn off the camera. I'm like, dude, you don't, don't like don't film this. And he was like, no, 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 this is, this is the kind of thing like you need to, you know, and, and we kind of, I think at that point really set the tone for a lot of how we've approached things over the years with that little interaction, deciding like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to show this and be like, yeah, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows all the time kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to, to training um, over, over the years, I mean, seems pretty self-evident to say it's had its ups and had its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of, what sort of modifications have you had to make maybe to training as a whole to accommodate or manage those symptoms and any modifications you've had to make to the lifts or the movements themselves that seem to have been helpful? So, I mean, from a, a mechanical standpoint, there seems to be some, some correlation with the way that I'm moving. If I can avoid certain patterns in my squat at, tend to uh, more often have pain-free sessions. But honestly, the biggest thing for me has been getting into a trained state. So if I can get past that first week or two of like, ah, this sucks, like really trying to have to manage the load and get past it and modify what I'm doing, I can get to a point where, okay, I'm trained enough. And this seems to be the biggest sort of conclusion that I've come to is that if I can get strong, my hip doesn't hurt as much. So putting up with those first few weeks, managing and, and modifying load as, as needed uh, kind of allows me to get to a point where I can then continue to train. I took a big break after um, after my recent competition in, in, uh, in Dubai in November. I took two weeks off because I got my hand tattooed and just kind of like, eh, you know, like, uh, I can't do anything, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then came back and that was the worst my hip's been in years. So it was like, you know, but I also knew, okay, if I can just bear with these first few weeks, then I can get to a point where things feel good again. So, so there are two things in, in there that I think are interesting. One is the recognition that for you being in a trained state is positively correlated with you being able to manage the symptoms better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might run counter to what people might expect to hear from coaches or or healthcare professionals. If something's hurting, you should just probably not train or not train through it. Now, of course, we'll probably keep talking about this as we go, just given that pain and injury are are really complex, messy things. And, um, you know, we, we talk about that a lot here. Um, so there's, I think with good reason question about 
people trying to figure out what they should push through and what they shouldn't. And Mm -hmm. those are rarely easy questions to answer, certainly without knowing the person and their history and that sort of thing. Um, but for you, you know, you've recognized through the process that you can push through and that not only can you, but you kind of need to, to get to that point where they're manageable and then you can nudge performance forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing is, is I think expectation, um, where you took the time off from, uh, or after your competition in Dubai and you expected that, all right, I haven't trained in a couple of weeks. Things are probably going to feel kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we talk about expectations a lot in the, the training and rehab processes and how that's important. Um, maybe especially from the perspective of a coach or, or a healthcare professional to try to have those conversations and let people know, Hey, this is, this is probably what we're going to be encountering. Um, and you might be able to set those expectations better or with slightly greater, greater predictive accuracy once you start to work with that person a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it all comes back around to, to people, the message being able to, to get to people that it's not always a terrible thing to maybe have some pain as part of the picture. It, it's probably not fun, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it can be managed. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I noticed pretty early on, that it was it was frequent that I would come in and I would have my my main comp squat on day one, and by the time I would squat on day three or four, I was in less pain, moving very similar amounts of weight. So it, it just kind of logically followed that okay, over the macro scale as well, this happened. Um, but I also don't want to give the impression that I just said, oh, whatever it hurts, I'm just going to keep going harder, more like loaded up, um, because it was very much a process of of limiting load to the point where I wasn't having as strong a symptom, um, or wasn't experiencing as much or as often or as on, on as many reps. So it was definitely a, a, a work around as much as it was a work through, but getting to that point of being trained was the big thing for me. Bryce, I'm curious because this is a really interesting point and it sounds to me like you came to this realization on your own through, through the process of training. I'm curious what your interactions were with the healthcare providers, and you don't have to go into specifics if, if you don't want to or can't remember, but on average, you're, you're seeing multiple healthcare providers, you're having conversations about this pain experience. Contrast your kind of conclusion that if I don't train at all, or if I don't train enough, I experience this thing to a greater degree. If I overdo it in some capacity, I feel this thing to a greater degree. There is this kind of Goldilocks zone or this dose response. Did you have those conversations with these healthcare providers, uh, kind of in that in that realm, or and what was their general kind of recommendation in regards to the pain experience, or what was okay to push through, what you should avoid, that type of thing. So. I mean, for the most part, I, I honestly don't remember a lot of it. It was four, four and a half years ago now. But the the one interaction that I think really set me off on the right direction was talking to a friend of mine. And you guys might even know Alex Kovaleski. Um, I know the name, yeah. Yeah, so he's a, he's a PT or was a PT in training at the, at the time. And we had a quick little consult and, and basically came to the conclusion that like, yeah, you know, if you want to keep – continuing to pursue being a, an elite level lifter, some of these things might just be there. 
So it's about managing the symptoms. He recommended me some uh, books on pain science. I think it was Explain Pain and Why Do I Hurt? Um, and I, I made my way through those as sort of basic resources to try to educate myself on, you know, what some of this stuff might be stemming from. Um, and and kind of just through a lot of experimentation and, and bouncing things back and forth. But I think one of the big things with a lot of the practitioners I saw previous to that was it was always searching for a sort of mechanism as to why it was happening. It was an imbalance or it was a, maybe a herniated disc or maybe it was this and we need to try to treat that. And I think once I kind of let go of figuring out maybe what it was or why it was happening, it was just a matter of, okay, well, let's, let's ditch all that because that may or may not affect the course of treatment here. Like the, the goal is to get to squatting pain free. So let's just focus here. And that allowed me to kind of, uh, I don't know, have a bit of autonomy with things, kind of take charge for myself, stop relying on, okay, I have to go get an adjustment every week or twice a week um, and just kind of focus on what I could do and what I was in charge of. And that made me feel like I was making some progress, which probably, excuse me, probably positively affected things. It sounds like, you know, to, to knowing what you were about and what mattered the most to you was probably the, the defining factor or the thing that really sent you in that direction. Um, you know, and tell me if you agree with this too, it's not to say that it's wrong to want to know what factor or factors might lead or contribute to someone experiencing pain. I think that's probably a pretty normal response, mm-hmm. but you, you hit on or you hit the nail on the head as far as what goes through my mind as a as a coach and as a clinician and as an athlete, you know, is is the answer to that question going to change what we do moving forward? And if so, how much? Because then that probably dictates how much time, effort or energy we might want to put there. Mm-hmm. And I think from the perspective of a coach or a clinician, uh, we should probably be asking people what they what they want for themselves, you know, what success looks like to them. Yeah. Um, you know, cause that, that probably largely dictates what, what we do moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of coming to that conclusion and, and I definitely don't think that just throwing away, you know, looking for reasons why is, is necessarily the course, but for me with where I was headed and where I wanted to be, uh, it seemed like sort of a shedding of a weight in some ways. Bryce, I think this is fascinating because You've come, it's just it's been this years-long process, and as, as much of it is, is kind of mental as much as it is physical as you're managing the physical Absolutely. symptoms, but also managing your, your expectations and beliefs behind it. Well, I'm curious if, let's say, the first three months or so, or no, let's say 2016, the, the session that you were throwing your belt on camera, just like, <laughs> yeah. this, I, I, I'm done. Like, something needs to change. I need to figure this out. In yeah. that in that moment, do you think that, let's say somebody kind of threw the explain pain book at you and had a conversation with you? It's like, let's not worry about structure right now, and let's just kind of let's talk this out in regards to prognosis and and kind of managing as opposed to finding a, a quote unquote fix. Do you think you would have been ready to hear that at the time? That's that's I think a really good question and obviously impossible to answer, but. Um, I think that it would have sped things up. I think I would have ended up in a better place quicker. I don't know if at that point I would have 
been ready to hear that without kind of exhausting some other options first. Um, I, I've over the years have, have prided myself on being able to sort of adapt as new information came up and have my mind changed. Uh, and I, I used to, as a coach, uh, also think very sort of mechanistically, like don't round your back, you're going to blow yourself out deadlifting. And, you know, as things advance, we kind of gotten past some of those, uh, like one-to-one notions. But, uh, at the time it was, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to figure out what was wrong with me so that I could fix it. And it was less about these sort of gray areas and management and those kinds of things. But I do think that having that information would have probably sped up that process pretty significantly. Yeah. Now, realistically as well, since 2016, have you had a session where you threw your belt and ran around the weight room a little bit cussing? Uh, I've been pretty close, <laughs> I think, and probably more recently than I care to admit. Um, but again, like the, the more times I come back into these, I don't know how much you know about the sort of emerging strategies, bottom up periodization, uh, model that, that, uh, Mike T uses. Mike T has been my coach for four or five years now, but we have these sort of intensive phases of training, uh, development blocks. And then we have a washout or a pivot, which is lower, lower intensity training, it, essentially a deload. So often coming back after these deloads, my first week in, if I don't manage my expectations in terms of, you know, where I'm at and, and take my condition or, or whatever you want to call it into consideration, I can come out of the gates really hard and run smack dab into that. Like, no, 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 you need to be a little more well-trained before you do this. Um, so I, I still every so often run into that. Um, but I think that's just the nature of wanting to, you know, try to get that leg up on, on myself. But we're still not talking about something that's a linear process. It, it's, it bounces around a lot. It, it, it's something you constantly have to stay relatively cognizant of. Yep. And those expectations have to be matched with really kind of where you're at, which is a super difficult thing to do on a daily basis. Um, I, I think athletes struggle with that a lot because they expect things to be very linear. They mm-hmm. expect it to just be gone, and I've done all these things, and it should be away by now, um, yeah. where instead it's more like, hey, I just traveled across the country, and I'm on little sleep. My nutrition's not where it really needs to be. I've got all these other stressors, and now you know, I, I've got a, a couple more symptoms going on than before. Okay, there's a lot of things that go into that, yeah. not just this straight line. So. Yeah. And I think, again, like social media might be partially responsible for that with the number of, I think, like hidden injuries Mm -hmm. that powerlifters go through. I think a lot of people are really hesitant to share those things. And whether they see that as a competitive disadvantage, admitting some kind of weakness publicly or or, or not, uh, I mean, that's all that goes off in a whole other topic into into the weeds about whether or not you can, uh, you know, it's your right to sort of present yourself as you see fit and et cetera. But um yeah, I think people see a lot of people not getting injured or they have, you know, blow their knee apart. And then two weeks later, they're squatting a PR um, and things like that. And those are the kinds of things that people share and emphasize and talk about. Um, but it doesn't as often get brought up like, yeah, no, I'm still dealing with this thing from four years ago. And, you know, it, some days it still sucks and you just have to realize that in the general trend, we're headed the right direction kind of thing. Just thinking about managing expectations and sort of flexibility or, or agility within one's approach to training. We had uh, Andrew Patton on the podcast a little while ago who ran a study with Greg Knuckles uh, looking at, it was a year-long survey-based 
study um, looking at training history and just tracking trends within those who started off or who either um, gained or incurred some sort of injury based on their definition, and I forget what their definition exactly was, or started off with some sort of injury that required some sort of modification. And what they found generally was that it was much more likely that people who started off with um, needing to modify training as a result of a prior injury were much more likely to to drop off um, out of the study. And that, you know, Andrew talked about how it could have been done to or could have been due to multiple factors. Um, I ended up being one of those people who was part of the study and also started with an injury. And what, as you were talking there, it, it echoed a lot of the the same sort of sentiments that my coach and I have had. Uh, I'm dealing with sort of a persistent hamstring type issue that bugs me on, on squats and deadlifts. And it's the, I think probably the, the biggest change that's happened for the better over the last couple of years has been just accepting that I need to be flexible with my expectations for a particular training day or training block or performance. Um, and how, if I, I think that something's going to go a certain way and it's not how it doesn't need to necessarily be shut down, the record, record the L we can take a lateral step or take a step back and try to get some sort of win, whether big or small out of it. Um, which is a segue into another question I want to ask, <clears throat> excuse me, related to goals. We've been talking about the process, you know, through this mm-hmm. whole thing Yeah, and athletes in general are going to have performance-based goals for themselves, you know, for strength athletes, it's probably numbers they want to hit in training or on the platform. Um, we've also talked about how it's an unpredictable process, especially when there's an injury present, but you can make a pretty strong case. that that's the case even without an injury. So then we hear about how having process oriented goals also ends up being an important thing. So if we delineate between the two, uh, maybe a performance-based or outcome-based goal is a, a destination that we're trying to get to a process based goal is is the journey um, or the way in which we're trying to to reach those destinations. So for you, have you found that setting process-oriented goals has been uh, an important thing or something that you've thought about much? And if so, do you find that it's ever difficult or do you find yourself sort of weighting um, the two types of goals differently? Like, do you find yourself kind of putting a little more value in the, in the outcomes un- unintentionally sometimes, as opposed to, you know, I hear the, the process oriented things that I can work on right now. I don't know if that question makes, makes sense. Yeah. I think, I, I think I get what you're saying. Um, I, I think we all kind of fall into that trap more often than we'd maybe like, uh, thinking about, okay, the outcome and, and sort of the, the performance goals. Um, I think for me, like the, the, there was a very big shift, to sort of short term and, and those performance goals instead of, okay, I need to go in and squat X weight at at whatever RPE was, I want to go in and have like a relatively low pain day. I want to go in and do whatever I need to do to have a low pain day. And sometimes that was getting really frustrated, walking away, training a couple of clients, coming back to the bar, rewarming back up. And then you know, lo and behold, for whatever reason, uh, I had no pain. I was able to get through my whole session, prescribed weights, everything like that. There were days like that. Uh, and, and having that goal of, okay, pain-free session, as opposed to this weight, uh, allowed me to kind of 
develop more process-oriented goals based on, okay, quality of movement, uh, amount of warm-up, where's my headspace at? You know, am I looking for my pain when I'm trying to get into these positions or am I thinking about my performance and just focusing on doing the work? And those kinds of uh, sort of process-oriented thoughts helped me, I think, start to develop a, a, a habit or start to develop many habits that led me to being a, a bit more successful and, and back to the point where now, yeah, like I have, I have spreadsheets set out of all the E1RMs I want to hit this block and where I'm going to try to be for nationals in a few weeks and this kind of stuff. And it's, it's exciting to get back to that, but I wouldn't be here if I hadn't been able to take a step back and be like, look at what's, you know, kind of right in front of you before we start thinking about your next meet. Um, and I also did a bad job of that. Like I still, I kept competing. I did a number of other meets. I squatted the same weight in every raw meet I did for two and a half years because I knew that I just couldn't push my raw squat without giving it the adequate time. But like, okay, we're four weeks out. We got to start hitting this weight and that weight. And it just like, this is the ceiling. Um, I think we're starting to get past that, but it was a back and forth process for a long time. Did you have, uh, with your interactions with, with your coach, with, mm -hmm. with Mike through this, through this process, was this, was this kind of a, I need to, I need to figure out where I'm at with this myself and coach is just kind of on the outside, assuming that you'll give him feedback if needed, or, or was this very much a kind of a, a team-based process between you and him to be able to figure out how to manage this? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, Mike was obviously very collaborative. He actually has had um, basically what I have in one hip, he has in both and it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, and he's had to take a step back from competing and, and, um, has, has complimented me by saying that, you know, my dealing with this process has helped him sort of think about his own injury differently. And now he's back to the point where he's, uh, hitting some PRs in training. Um, but it was definitely a thing where I needed to kind of come away, work on these things myself, and then come back and we'd sit down and have a, a pretty in-depth discussion about what worked and what didn't. Sometimes on the day, I needed to just blow up his Facebook Messenger inbox and be like, I can't do this. And then, you know, three hours later, I'm like, well, I warmed back up and it felt good. So I did all of the everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was very much there every step of the way uh, and having dealt with and was currently dealing with some things similarly. Uh, I think there was a level of, of sort of sympathy, empathy, um, in that, in his approach, which, which helped me a lot. Bring it full circle. I have to imagine that going through all that yourself <clears throat> gives you maybe a unique perspective as a coach now working with your clients how have you found or have you had to have that conversation or those conversations with people where you maybe sort of gently nudge them in the direction of, you know, it's good and still useful for us to have these these goals that you want to hit, these numbers that you want in training or this vision for this upcoming competition. But here's where we are right now. It might behoove us to, you know, be a little bit more flexible or think about, you know, variable X, Y and Z. Have you, have you had to have that conversation at all or, or much? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, that's one of those things that I, I'm 
so thankful that, that I've been able to have and deal with and really like really dig through the trenches with, because I have these conversations with athletes regularly. Um, I have a guy prepping for, for nationals here in Canada and he's got an adductor issue and things were going really well and it flared up really bad. And it was one of those, okay, like what's, you know, your, your squat, your, your, your bench and your deadlift are fine, but squat, like just put that number out of your head and let's try to get moving pain-free and you'd be surprised what can happen in a few weeks if we can just get to the point where we're not hurting every session. Um, and being able to just have that, I think, calmness and, and a bit of a demeanor of, trust me, this is going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Um, and obviously, you know, I stay in my lane and I, you know, work with load management and those kinds of things that I think as a coach, I'm, I'm more qualified to um, give more advice and and you know, uh, impact, but, uh, it definitely, definitely has been a big, a big boon to be able to relate that experience and, and even give myself as an example, a lot of the times, you know, I, I felt that way. I feel that way. Um, I've been there, you know, let me, let me tell you what helped me and re- here's some resources, <laughs> lend them my books, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, even to that point, it's, it's been apparent as we've been talking here and it's, it's certainly apparent in the videos that you put out on YouTube you're pretty deliberate in the language that you use when you're talking about pain and injury. Um, I'm guessing that's a conscious process. Yeah. Or choice very for you. Much so. Um, what, what prompted you to start or has it always been that way? Or was there a particular thing that, that pushed you to, to be more aware of the words that you were using to talk about these things? Uh, I think that, in dealing with my own injury and learning a lot more about, about pain science and the, the biopsychosocial model and, and beyond, um, it, it sort of dawned on me that the way that you describe things, the way that you frame things, you know, the the languages are, are sort of way of relating to the world and you can very easily change a situation and, and the outlook on a situation by choosing your words carefully. Um, and again, going back to, especially as I relate to clients, I try to really make sure that we're presenting things in a, in an open ended way or a, a more positive light or, or being helpful as opposed to, uh, anything else. So, yeah, I don't know if there was any like one moment or if it was something that kind of gradually happened as I struggled or, or, or tried to educate myself, uh, more on these things, but, uh, yeah, it definitely is a very, very conscious choice. Which is excellent to see, because as I was prepping these notes, I was I was going to say, um, you know, that uh, it's it's not always the case that people are conscious about their language. What I would actually say is that you're in a, a very small minority of people, um, at least as far as the strength and conditioning world, based on on how I perceive it, uh, who is <laughs> regularly really conscious about. Uh, the language being used, I think more often than not, it, it, we can see situations where there's language that's a little bit too absolute um, to be appropriate, kind of being thrown into these conversations when mm-hmm. things are so unpredictable and terms are so nebulous and all of that. Um, yeah. Or even what you said before, you you stay in your lane and you, you make the choice to uh, work with what you feel qualified to do. And I don't know if everybody does that. I would hope they do, but I don't think that that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that working with people like Mike, I don't know if, if have you, you guys had said you had Mike on the podcast. We did. Yeah, he's great. 
I think for maybe a really long time with him. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's easy, right? Like he just has a lot to say and he's a brilliant mind. Um, but having conversations with people like Mike, um, chatting with with Bryce Lewis and, and just noticing how people will. Yeah, if you need to take a second to pause and think about how you're going to phrase something, do it, you know, um, and having more of those interactions. The more I talk to smart people, the more I realize they were being very conscious with how they speak. And, you know, I strive to be a, a smart person. So, <laughs> yeah. But Bryce, that's not what gets the Instagram clicks. <laughs> Bryce Powerlifter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. Consider this a little brain break from our awesome discussion with Bryce Krochik about how he's managed a chronic injury. Just some quick updates in the clinical athlete world. We've got some barbell certifications popping up. The clinical athlete powerlifting certification is coming to the East Coast, West Coast, and Canada in 2020. So check out the events tab on the clinical athlete website for more info. We're also teaming up with the Level Up Initiative to bring an amazing educational event to Boston on September 19th, Boston, called the Kowloo Summit. For more information on the summit, head over to kowloosummit.com. That's C-A-L-U summit.com. Lastly, the Clinical Athlete Forum has been popping with new discussion, and we just dropped two new webinars Programming for Hypertrophy in the Clinic by Dr. Eric Legoy and Long-Term Athlete Development and Sports Specialization by Dr. Nicole Sertica. So go in there and consume the brain gains. You can also find the links to all this stuff in the show notes of this episode. And now, back to the show. I want to take a moment and really kind of highlight how important this is uh, for barbell sports, just this mindset. You know, you mentioned your very first video. You guys decided to keep that in there, throw the belt across the room, cuss, show frustration. We touched a little bit before about social media and, you know, coaches and athletes kind of hiding injuries. But there was also, you know, on the other side of that, we were very polarized because you had that and you also had like hashtag Snap City and a lot of like the fear mongering when it comes to particular movements like you were talking about with. Any little bit of flexion in the spine was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. It's done. Uh, it's very important that we be as realistic and careful with this stuff as we can because a lot of the barbell sports, because of that old, you know, kind of dogmatic polarization, people have fear of them. Like, oh, I don't want to get hurt doing powerlifting. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, fr- I, I hear that a lot. I, I, it makes me cringe a little bit because I know how protective these sports can really be, especially as we get older. Um, so it's important to take this kind of direction to grow the sport because it's more realistic. It's more, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it out loud. It's more honest uh, because if you are a CrossFitter or an aerobics instructor or a yoga instructor, you're probably going to deal with these same things. You're just, doing a different task, it doesn't mean that you're never going to feel pain. And I think in our sports, a lot of people, as soon as that sensation happens, it's, oh, no, this sport hurt me. I have yeah. to stop. Yeah. A couple I, things. I think it yeah, comes, go, sorry, Bryce. Sorry, go go ahead. Ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I was just going to say, I think it comes down to like the d- degree of – there's that spectrum, and I, I've often used this example of sort of health and performance, right? And I feel like most people are, are here – on this end where they're untrained and if they just 
got to like a body weight squat or whatever sort of arbitrary metric you want to use, they would probably be healthier in everyday life. And I think once you get past that, yes, you end up having to deal with some of these things and you end up, you know, pushing the limits of the body and whether that's in powerlifting or swimming or shuffleboard, I mean, I don't know. Um, you probably end up having to deal with these things once you go beyond that threshold and you're pushing the envelope of what what you can can physically and mentally do. Um, and I don't think that it's exclusive to powerlifting. So I think it's great that people are starting to realize that. And we have a a strong contingent of masters lifters and we try to bring in, we have a, like a women of steel event every month where we're trying to bring in a, a female population who's maybe otherwise intimidated by a, a gym like we have um, and, and, you know, create that space where people can come in and experience training for the first time uh, as well as the same thing with a lot of, a lot of masters and, and aging population um, kind of getting into doing their own versions of squats, benches and deadlifts, you know? So uh, it's cool to see that that grow and that mentality kind of open up. That's awesome, man. Quinn, what were you going to say? Yeah, just a couple things that are going through my head as as we're going through this. Is I hope when people are hearing this and they're hearing Bryce talk about things, they're not saying that, oh, well, he's a world champion, so this doesn't apply either to me or my clients or these types of things. Because there's nothing really that's been said that is somehow in the echelon of elite performance necessarily the difference is Bryce can take it to that level of performance he just happens to have that ability but the process that he has gone through I clinically I have people on my caseload right now that are going through similar processes and they're coming back and they're 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 struggling to kind of formulate these thoughts in their head uh, and we talk about these very things all the time and these are people of all different levels of, of physical activity. And I think it's just so challenging as a clinician. I'm thinking about this from, from our side when we talk about words, how uh, choosing our words wisely. And it's so easy for uh, a clinician to know that they have this small amount of time with this person who's, who's expecting something. You know, they came mm -hmm. into the door and they expect to get help from an expert and I've got a finite amount of time. What do I say? And it's real easy to fall into the trap of uh, providing false promises. But at the same time, you don't want to snatch all hope. And it's, so it's, it's, it's just such a delicate conversation. You know, if, if you were in my office, your, your issue, the way that you're describing it, could have very easily just gone away on its own because a lot of things do. Yours just happened to not. Mm -hmm. And it's, you, you know, as a clinician, you just, can't, it's so hard to predict that. And so with that uncertainty, like, well, let's say it's a, an acute ankle sprain. From a probabilistic standpoint, I'm pretty sure, especially if it's your first one, like this is going to go away on its own. It's going to heal and you're going to be fine. But what if you're one of those and that's not the way it happens? And we, and I gave you this like set timeline. Oh, in six weeks, this is going to be like a, you know, in the rearview mirror, you're going to be completely fine, and then it doesn't work out that way, and you kind of have to backtrack a little bit. And and so when you when you're speaking on, you select your words carefully when you're talking about these things, Bryce. I'm just thinking about that from a clinician standpoint too, and how important that is, and how challenging it can be to have that small amount of time. And you know, I just try to tell people if if like, let's say it was you, you know, I don't know where you're going to be, but I'm. You said something that was really important. I think in the beginning is. 
you'll have these ups and downs if you really zoom in on the day-to-day. And hell, even the hour-to-hour, as you described, mm-hmm. some days you feel shitty in the morning and then you come back and you crush it or even vice versa. Yeah. But if you if you can try to look at the overall trend and have some it's it's okay to have some KPIs that are objective and quantifiable. Like this is a, a, a quantified sport, you know, if it's something that you're looking at the numbers eventually. Mm-hmm. But if you if you can kind of just take that overall picture, I think that's huge. But um, you know, this is it's hard to formulate this into a question, but I think you've just brought up the existential part of the existential crisis that at least I have as a clinician just the challenge of, of having these conversations with somebody who's you know, in the living it on the day to day. Yeah. And I, and I think if you don't have the time to have a conversation like we're having where it's, you know, we have an hour, you know what I mean? I, I don't know how much time you guys have with your, your patients and that kind of stuff. But, uh, I think that the, the timeline concept and the, the idea kind of mirrors the strength training element in itself, right? You, stack up those sort of small wins. And then eventually you look back two years down the road or a year, six months, whatever down the road. And you're like, Oh, I've gotten a lot stronger or, Oh, I'm in a lot of pain, a lot, a lot less pain now. But it's not one of those things that like just kind of clicks. It's not like a, a light switch or a, a binary kind of thing. Right. So, and, and patient education has been studied. So now that the, the science of pain is coming more to the forefront, we're starting to take these things seriously. There's, there's been some, recent papers looking at, well, what does a bolus of patient education about pain science and about these things do? Or what does cognitive behavioral therapy about pain, does that have an effect? And what they're finding is that when you sit somebody down and just have like an hour conversation or a two hour conversation, and you just dump all of this stuff on somebody who's in this lived experience, it doesn't work out all that great. Yeah. And and I also think about well how do we learn anything new and how do we change behavior in general? Does it just is it all of a sudden we have a new belief or we learn something new? It's like no, we have small we're exposed to it in small bits. And I think I'm thinking about your experience and your process of just honing in on what on what works from a mindset standpoint and from a training standpoint and failing and succeeding and then you learn from the successes and the failures and that kind of updates your process and your and your beliefs and then you go forward and i think from a clinician standpoint it's that way as well and and we've talked about it on the podcast where we don't try to flip somebody's world upside down right in the very beginning with patient education it's just little insert a little bit of little tidbits here and there like oh here's a Mm -hmm. book like 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 with with you i was oh i'll read this book okay you know, and then yeah. you have these little conversations. Oh, what do you think about that book? Maybe it's a couple minutes in the next session. And I, I think from a cumulative standpoint, it sticks a little bit better when people hear it multiple times a little bit and they have time to wrap their heads around it rather than it, it's just being like a vomit of here's pain science. Yeah, you I know? can see how that, that would be overwhelming. So I, yeah, I just appreciate I appreciate you coming on and sharing that because I think this is really really helpful for all parties involved. Yeah, many, I, I hope so. How many people have we had on that that say stacking up little wins? I want to start keeping keeping track of that. <laughs> well, it's like habit habit formation science. You know, that'll t- it'll tell you that too. You change little yeah. things at a time, and then you it, layer that on. You nailed it because it's it, you know we're talking about that process, and it's you get in. You're trying to change your your squat pattern or get a little bit more efficient. And each each training session is 
Okay, I figured this little piece out. You know, you didn't figure out the whole thing. You can't, if you're yeah. coaching somebody, you can't cue everything in that one session. No, they're, they're, they just fall apart. They look at you like their brain melted. It's kind of the same thing here. It's like, okay. So I came in. The morning sucked. Just didn't feel great. Chill out. I'm going to go over here, train a couple people, and, and to get back underneath the bar. And, hey, you know what? My feet a little bit wider. I feel better right now. So mm-hmm. let me just let me just take that. And now next next time I train, I have a, that option, and maybe my normal stance feels good, and maybe I can go with that. You just learn little things along the way, and it you stack up little wins in training, getting better as a an athlete. But when it comes to managing this stuff, every exposure that you can get those little wins also helps you along that path of understanding your pain experience and what's going on with you and how you can. Uh, modify your training or at least manage this a little bit better. So it, it's just one of those key, it's a key concept we constantly come back to. I just love to highlight because God, I, I say it every day. I feel yeah. like. Yeah, absolutely. Bryce was the, was the transition from raw to equipped was the injury part of the impetus to, to doing that. It was, it was actually. Um, uh, so I, I found that when I switched from conventional to sumo, I, I had no pain. I, I have now had some painful days pulling sumo. Um, but the the uh, initial switch was just night and day. No pain. Train as hard as I wanted. No issues. Um, so that was a big thing. And then, yeah, I we were at a coaching summit. Uh, I was presenting alongside uh, some other coaches from Alberta. And actually, Mike T and Bryce Lewis were there. And one of the guys presented this uh, sort of or, or gave a talk about equipped lifting and this is why it's cool and this is why I do it and he brought his wife in and stuffed her into a squat suit and <laughs> something in me was like oh maybe you know so I tried it out and I found that you know nine and a half times out of ten in my suit I had no pain I could squat I could deadlift uh, the bench shirt was a whole other thing that took a few years to figure out but um, the, the squat suit and the deadlift suit just instantly Um, I I don't know if it's because there's so much other stimulus that I'm just like not thinking about it or what, you know, may contribute to that. Maybe there's some sort of uh, symmetry in the bracing or God knows what, but anyways, I don't have any, any pain in my, in my squat suit. Um, I would say there's probably, I could count on one hand, the amount of times I've had pain in my suit in the last, um, three and a half years. So it, it was an experiment that kind of allowed me to. It was an experiment that kind of worked. And the big thing was it allowed me to continue pushing my training and be able to take my raw training and say, okay, like, let's, let's dial this back. You know, if this session hurts raw, whatever, we'll use less weight, we'll manage this. And then I could get into the suit and be like, "Ah, let's go and shake the bar and huff ammonia and listen to metal and, you know, do all that stuff that I I love to do. Um, But it it kind of allowed me to differentiate those and focus more on this process being a kind of uh, getting back to pain-free as opposed to, I need to perform. I need to numbers. I need to, you know, progress. I found the same thing with my experience in the squat suit and even just briefs that you could, you could push a little bit more and I'm with you, man. I don't know why I think it's just the overwhelming amount of pressure and stimulus just overrides your brain. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, what is happening right now? Even like a size size or two up, it's just it's it's different. Um, 
but being able to to kind of use the suit to overload and train around a couple things and it, it mentally for me it was a, a big help um and, and i'm with you i'm still trying to figure out the bench shirt but the the, the squat and deadlift suit have definitely been a, a game changer have you found that they actually helped with your raw lifting as well uh, for my bench, actually, I, I feel like it's had a positive impact on, on my bench. I think a fair bit of my bench was, um, learning how to kind of transition into the top end of the lift properly. Um, I, I would kind of always get pinned in that mid range of motion and just couldn't, you know, get things in the right place or push hard enough or just didn't make sense up here for whatever reason. And, and getting, you know, 80, hundred kilos more than my raw max, in my hands and pressing it over and over again, kind of made that click or made my triceps stronger or whatever. Um, maybe even just psychologically, my raw lifts didn't feel like much in my hands anymore. Um, but I did find it had some carryover for my bench. I'm not so sure about the squat and the deadlift. I don't really know. I'm still, uh, not really pushing those raw too hard. Um, so because my focus right now is, is obviously just on equipped. So I don't know a little bit. Yes. And a little bit, not sure. Fair. Wanted to bring it back uh, to the point we were talking about before when it comes to sort of helping journeying with people through the the messy, muddy waters of training in the presence of of injury or pain. Um, one of the things that I think is difficult, just as a as a clinician and a coach, because I think this is uh, equally present on on both sides of you know that that line there, especially for someone who's new to you know working in either field or both fields is at the end of the day we got we still have a person in front of us who's who's asking us for help and they they want to walk away with something that they feel is worthwhile and that they can they can start to do um when we're trying to uh, give them information that's as accurate as we can provide uh, without defaulting to the nice quick snappy one-liners that don't quite do justice to what we understand or think about, you know, pain or injury, that's tough, you know, um, because oftentimes we feel like we're left with a question mark. We kind of give that question mark to the, the patient or the, the client. Hey, what do I do, coach? Eh, but sweet, <laughs> you know? So I think that's part of the finesse of, of being a, what I'll call a good coach or a good clinician is being able to... <sighs> maybe suggest and and show the the client that we can we can live in this uncertainty for now and here are the things that we that we know or that we highly suspect let's just do this and see how we go now that said i would probably argue that's easier to do in person only because you have the ability to to probably better discern each other's nonverbal communication and you know be mm-hmm. present that way. Yeah. The next thing would probably be something similar to this or even you know other modes of online coaching. Bryce, you've you've I think got a pretty decent challenge insofar as Form Check Friday, where you've got an email and then a video of their lift <laughs> and you have to provide some sort of direction for them. Um, and this is all while you, you know, by your own admission are thinking about trying to be careful of the language that you're using. Um, 
how's how's that go? That, that's got to be fun. <laughs> it's interesting. We honestly, we for the most part try to stay away from submissions where somebody's like, oh, you know, like this hurts or that hurts or I'm having this pain or whatever. Because a lot of times it's like I, we need to sit down and talk for a long time before I can give you any sort of advice on that. But if it's you know a novice to intermediate lifter making some pretty obvious faults. I feel like for the most part, I can offer a bit of helpful advice to get them closer to this sort of model of, of what like an efficient technique might look like um, while also trying to it, – it's, it's kind of like you said, and it, I think it comes down to – you know, you said you don't want to give them those snappy one-liners, and I also think that it it's tough to not just always be like, well, it depends, yes. and just leave people with that, right? So I try to give the it depends answer, but then kind of be like, well, it depends on cool. this, this, and this. Yeah. And here's how you find out which of those is or, or try these things. Um, and again, it's it's a lot in the language. I'm not saying do this and you will be better. I promise this will be fixed. Right. It's like, okay, well, if we think about your grip width here, this is the reason I'm looking at that. And maybe if you go wider, we can change this, that, and the other thing. And it's, yeah. It's sometimes a shot in the dark, but I think uh, it's been more successful than not. And uh, it's pretty cool to to have a lot of people able to look at that and then kind of use that same model in their own training and say, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe I kind of deadlift like that guy. So if I try these cues, how does that work? And I think framing it in that idea of it's an experiment, not do this, it will be better, but try these things. And, you know, if this works, then maybe this, but coming up with more of those if then statements than like, uh, just saying this works, do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. We had, we had Greg Lehman on the, on the show a while back and he said more or less the same thing about it depends where that can be kind of a cop out answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be true, but his challenge was to people who, who want to use that, um, to, to qualify it and, and say, okay, what does it depend on in yeah. fact? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That's great, man. You mentioned metal before, and I told you I was going to ask you about metal. I would. You seem <laughs> like a metal connoisseur. Yeah, uh, I'm actually I'm wearing a Shadows of Intent shirt right now. I it's noticed not, that. It's not long ago. That was excellent. Um, who are, who are you? Uh, who are you really digging these days? Listen, listening to a lot of. Uh, I listen to a lot of a lot of deathcore right now. Um, Die Art is Murder, uh, Fit for an Autopsy, Enterprise Earth, and Aversion's Crown are all coming here in April. So I've been listening to. Pretty much their whole libraries, um, a lot of shadows of intent. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a short list. I could probably do a whole other podcast if you want to talk metal. That's awesome. <laughs> Quinn There's has a, no idea what's going on right now. I was gonna say, Quinn, do you, do you listen to metal at all? No. And that's why Bryce is stronger than you. Yeah, no, there's other positive. there's other reasons. Other, yeah, just you can't just, do that with weightlifting. It's got to be either like club music or, or like nothing ball. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just a silent. Yeah. I have enough inner turmoil going on in my head that I don't. I don't need it coming <laughs> from metal. <laughs> That's it. And I, again, I'll, I'll try not to, to make us talk about music for too long. But Bryce, you were you were the singer for a band for a while, right? I, I was. Yeah. I did. I did vocals. I don't know if I call it singing, but I did vocals <laughs> in well, uh, in a likewise styled kind of thrash metal band for a bit. It's awesome. Well, for for me, as far as evolution of musical taste, if you had asked me about metal about 
six years ago or, or longer. I probably would have said that I didn't listen to much, mm-hmm. um, excepting a few songs, but that's kind of grown um, over the last little bit, listened to a lot of metalcore and then other subgenres of metal and uh, developed a lot more of an appreciation for metal vocals. Um, do you still mess around with that? Uh, you know, in, in my car on the way to the gym the <laughs> other day, I'll turn it up uh, pretty loud. I don't know that my wife's ever heard me actually do them in person. Um, but <laughs> wow, what is this? <laughs> it's the way to one of your performances. Yeah, that's that's a different kind of performance. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's 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 fun, and I think it was one of those things that kind of parallels lifting in some ways for me. It was it was a very intense expression and uh sort of cathartic um to to get up on stage and stomp around and scream at people um and i think that lifting kind of provides me a very similar outlet um and i I, i'm not like a a pent-up or angry person but i think part of that is because i've always had a really good way to kind of uh channel all that stuff and be able to be that and do that for periods of time when i need to or when i want to um but yeah, yeah, that was a that was a pretty cool experience, which also led to the uh, feelings of of terrible health that got me into lifting. So <laughs> there you go. My uh, I train at home in, in the basement, and in the last month or two, my my daughters had heard uh, some of the music that was being played, and I think one of them had said, "Daddy's music scary." And my <laughs> wife told me that later. And I said, "Well, there's time. They'll, they'll come around." So yeah. what, what are you listening to? What are your what are your albums on the go right now? Um, Moana, Frozen <laughs> Two, <laughs> Frozen God, One. John also has kids. Yes, yeah. you'll notice that. Uh, listen to it a lot of metalcore, probably more than anything. So Architects, um, Kill Switch, Engage, As I Lay Dying, some of their new stuff. Uh, also, want to shout out Cameron Troppel. He's a physical therapist in the states, also part of the clinical athlete community because he shot me a list of bands to check out and Die Artist Murder is one of them. Mm-hmm. I've heard a couple of their songs, so not this is probably just more motivation to go check out more of their stuff. Yeah. I would also check out if you're into that style, uh Straight from the Path, if you haven't. They okay. also put out a new album last year. There was I mean again, I could I could do a whole podcast on this, but <laughs> uh that that's one that comes to the top of the list when you when you mention those artists. So I, I would check out Straight from the Path. Excellent. Spotify is updated. <laughs> All right. So we we like to try to close out most of our episodes with a summary of of actionable things people can start thinking about and start doing to maybe help themselves or certainly to to better serve people that they work with. Mm -hmm. Um, Just broadly speaking, um, any suggestions for people who who work with athletes in pain, um, like coaches or clinicians or for people, athletes who are dealing with with injuries or or nagging pain themselves? So funny, funny, quick, quick little story, but I, I actually had to give a, not had to, I uh, was able to, I was lucky enough to give a presentation to a, a lifters grade eight um, strength and conditioning class. So a, a lifter from the community as a teacher got to teach this class on strength and conditioning, wanted me to give a quick presentation and then they have a weight room. So we went in and did a bunch of that stuff too. But I was like, okay, I need to try to like distill some of these sentiments down to a grade eight level. And I think the biggest thing I came up with was just to find a starting point. And I think that's like, whether you're a clinician or a coach or, or whatever, it's, it's find that place where you can do and progress from there, whether that's, you know, being 
in in minimal or no pain, whether that's uh, limited range of motion or or whatever, you know, just finding that starting point, I think, can be so empowering to be like, okay, I can squat, I can do this, I just have to do it this way for now, and then all of a sudden you have a start point and you have a direction you want to go, and you just you just take those steps. But I think, especially for me, through all of it, finding that starting point of where I needed to take my squat mechanically, load wise, fatigue management wise psychologically all those things like that was that was the big big step so yeah i don't know find a starting point that's awesome as you're talking about distilling that down to a grade eight level you ever see those those uh videos on youtube where it's an expert talking about a concept at like five different levels i don't think i have that sounds great though i think it's put out by wired or some channel like that but they have like five or or eight year old they have a high school student college student grad student and then you know, some other industry leader. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, and taking it back to, uh, people like Mike T, Bryce Lewis, and, and other people that, that I personally agree with you, uh, are very knowledgeable people. They, it's, it's really fascinating and, and helpful, I think, to just watch them talk about things, mm-hmm. um, and notice what they do. And you said it before, they'll pause to reflect on what they'll say and how they're going to say it. Uh, and I think another big thing is they'll say they don't know if they don't actually know the answer. Um, and you know, they might try to find out later or do some research on that thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something that can earn respect for me real fast is just recognizing where one's knowledge or at least confidence ends just cause I think there's, there's a little bit too much going on on the interwebs where people seem to hold out like they know all the answers, but they likely don't. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, Bryce, this has been fantastic, man. Um, I know that a lot of people are going to come away from this with uh, lots of lots of good stuff to think about and start doing. So thank you for taking the time and coming on here to to shoot the breeze with us and talk about these things. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I Like I said, I looked through some of your past uh, episodes and listened to a few of them and everybody's listing there uh, where they did their master's and where they did their PhD and then all these things. And I'm like, I'm going to be on this podcast. <laughs> um, I, I so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, very, very happy to be able to discuss this. I think that uh, for me, it's a great platform to talk about this. I feel like I haven't had a lot of these discussions um, publicly and and definitely not with, with um you know, people who are, are so entrenched in it from a, a clinical side. So I was really, really thankful to have had this opportunity to chat with you guys. My pleasure, man. Um, and feel free to, to not say too much if you don't want to, but how's, how's prep for, uh, for nationals? You, you competing? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll be competing in about four weeks here. Uh, and things are going really, really well. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I might, uh, so I was, I was supposed to be competing against, uh, Eric Willis, who is a previous raw world champion. Um, he decided not to make the weight cut. Uh, I think he's sitting at about 130 kilos right now. So, um, Ooh. yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, um, if it's, uh, if it's feeling good, I might, might swing for the fences a little bit on the, on my third attempt because it might be a safe place for me to do that without Eric there. All right. Well, I see how it all goes. Watching. <laughs> are you, are you still chasing the beast for, uh, the deadlift? Yeah. 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 If anybody wants to watch a video that will make you train so hard, the power lifter. Yeah. Is about if you got you gotta have twenty two minutes. Yeah. You will you will be ready to go. Yeah. I uh pretty proud of that one. 
Absolutely. Also, question that has nothing to do with powerlifting. Bryce, do you like The Office? I do. I love it. Have yeah. you seen that they released the full version of Threat Level Midnight on YouTube? Really? Yeah. So I have not seen that. Everybody listening, take 22 minutes to watch The Powerlifter first, and then take an extra 24 minutes to watch Threat Level Midnight, and it'll be worth your while. I feel like that would be very worth it. <laughs> so there's your actionable things for the, for the, we go. the podcast. There. We did it. We did it, boys. Um, Price, where can people connect with you if they want to hit you up and connect with, with you for some, some of the services that you offer and get some sweet, sweet Calgary Barbell swag? Uh, so I am I am Calgary Barbell pretty much everywhere. Uh, my personal Instagram is Bryce underscore CBB. Um, we are CalgaryBarbell.com. We're Calgary Barbell on Instagram. We're Calgary Barbell on YouTube. It's gets pretty repetitive. So if if uh, you're looking for us somewhere, just punch in Calgary Barbell and we're probably there. That's awesome. Well, man, thank you again. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Quinn, John, always a pleasure. Yeah, this thanks, was great, man. Bryce. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And thanks for having such an honest discussion about this. I think it's really important that that we're able to talk about things like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to do it. We'd like to thank Bryce Krochik for coming on the show. You can check out the show notes for links to be able to follow Bryce and all the awesome stuff that he's doing. And of course, thank you to my homies, Jared Maynard and John Flagg, for steering this ship alongside me. And thank you, the clinical athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. If you want to dive even deeper into the clinical athlete community, you can check out all that the clinical athlete forum has to offer, which includes our academy courses, amazing discussions and networking with professional clinicians and coaches, as well as students, and just our overall hub of knowledge in regards to athlete health and performance. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.